Blog Talk Radio. Hour. I'm your host, Poke Runyon, and tonight we present a follow-up to our previous review of Secret Machines 2017 by Tom DeLong and A.J. Hartley. In tonight's program, we will look at their major source work, Insiders Reveal Secret Space Programs and Extraterrestrial Alliances 2015 by Michael E. Sala, Ph.D., and his 2017 sequel, The U.S. Navy's Secret Space Program and Nordic Extraterrestrial Alliance. Now, these books and the plot of secret machines are primarily based on the revelations of the New Age regressed whistleblower, Corey Good, and other former U.S. Navy and Air Force operatives in a parallel secret advanced space program with alleged bases on the moon and Mars. And we will also examine Tom DeLong and Peter Lavenda's 2017 book, God's Man and War which establishes the historical and anthropological validity of the ancient alien and UFO connection without evoking secret space program conspiracies. So, if you want to return to the absolute elsewhere for another hour, stay with us, and we will have both a critical and a sympathetic look at this phenomenon. Now, when I aired last week's show, I did not have the additional material, source books and the sequel, in hand. The two books by Michael E. Sala and God's Men and War by Tom DeLong and Peter Lavenda arrived the next day, so I was able to refer to them in a review of Secret Machines, which I posted on Amazon.com. Now, we will begin tonight's discussion by reading that review and follow it with more detailed examination of these three closely related works. So this will sound somewhat like what you, what those of you who were listening last week heard, because uh, this is a, a, an edited version in which we included the source works. So if you just tuned in on tonight's show, you'll catch up on it. And the title of the Amazon review is Saber Mystery Redo, book review of Secret Machines Chasing Shadows by Tom DeLong and A.J. Hartley. Please do not assume from the title of this review that I am trying to discredit this novel. I wrote and produced a film on the same theme, so I am complimenting the authors and the producers of this book for what so far seems a more successful approach to reviving the 1940s Shaver mystery. Actually, they are reviving it the same way it was originally created, presenting truth in the form of fiction. In the 1940s, Amazing Stories editor Raymond A. Palmer collaborated with eccentric science fiction writer Richard S. Shaver to produce and publish a series of novels and stories about ancient astronauts and their subterranean demonic mutant survivors. This revelation came after the atomic bomb and just before the UFOs. 
it was discredited by both the scientific and the science fiction communities. But it lived on to spawn and inspire a host of imitators, such as Eric Van Daniken, Zachariah Sitchin, and hundreds of television documentaries about ancient aliens. And similar phenomenon. Now we have producer Tom DeLonge in Ray Palmer's chair and novelist A.J. Hartley in Shaver's seat again launching the mystery as fiction. Shaver once asked Palmer, what style do you want me to write these stories in? Palmer answered, Edgar Rice Burroughs. Well, that was because he was publishing John Carter stories in Amazing at that time. So Shaver complied. Now, if A.J. Hartley needed to be given similar instructions, it might have gone down like this, Hartley. How do I write this novel, Tom? DeLong. Get Dean Kuntz's How to Write Best-Selling Fiction, which was Dan Brown's secret weapon, and write it like the Da Vinci Code, which was exactly what Hartley did. Secret Machines is a well-crafted Kuntz-Brown-style thriller. Chapter one arcs to the climax. The clock is always ticking. The good guys are likable. The bad guys are awful, especially Skeletor, which they borrowed from our Canaanite masters of the universe. And the multiple viewpoint cliffhanging chapters are worthy of the old Republic serials, which inspired Indiana Jones. In short, fun read. But what Truth is hidden behind the fictional veil, and what connects it to the original Shaver mystery? Well, actually, DeLong and Hartley based their fictional collaboration on an updated version of the Shaver mystery propounded by David Wilcock and Corey Good, also playing the roles of Palmer and Shaver. Wilcock was the journalist, and and uh, and, uh, and Corey Good is the is the uh, the, the channeler, if you will, and subsequently validated in book form by Michael E. Sala, Ph.D., in his Insiders Reveal Secret Space Programs and Extraterrestrial Alliances, published in 2015. Now, Corey Good, with a suspicious background similar to Dick Shaver's, has the same problems that old Dick had in trying to justify his secret ancient cavern network, inhabited cavern network. What about the heat? And what about the ventilation? Now, we've heard and read about it all before, 70 years ago. And if the ancient alien cavern network exists, it has to be in another dimension. Let's, say if it, let's qualify that and say if it exists and is inhabited, still inhabited, it has to be in another dimension. Which Shaver, after he regained his sanity, finally came to believe. See our film Beyond Lemuria, second edition, 2014. In order to establish the Shaver mystery connection, I will have to subject the reader of this review to some spoilers. And to minimize that, allow me to skip from the first establishing chapters to the last chapter. Now, before we start this abridged summary, let me qualify my supposition that this book is a return of the Shaver mystery and the Corey Good mystery. It certainly draws from both. But it and they, the Shaver Good Mysteries, also include Admiral Byrd's reports from 1947, The X-Files, 1993-2002, The Iron Mountain Report, 1967, and even Network, 1976, and Men in Black, the folklore and the film, along with the works of Jacques Vallée, Joseph Farrell, and numerous other accounts of UFO sightings and encounters. The fictionalized episodes are based largely on these actual accounts. Although the story has one main protagonist, Marine pilot Major Alan Young, it has three other principal characters. Jennifer Quinn, a British international humanitarian, Tim Kamars, an American black lady web journalist, and in retrospect, because he's deceased by the time we get on with the book. Jersey Alan Stern, 
a Jewish refugee from a World War II Nazi slave labor program where he discovered the secrets of the infamous Nazi bell. Jersey joins the U.S. Navy and follows the Nazi bell ringers from South America to Antarctica to Operation Paperclip in Nevada. The stories of the secondary characters are interwoven between Alan Young's adventures, with all of them coming together at the climax. First, Alan Young, a Marine pilot, becomes a flying saucer pilot, obviously. We begin the story with the protagonist, Major Alan Young, a Marine Corps Harrier pilot flying ground support missions in Afghanistan. He is offering air support on a special ops extraction mission when he encounters Russian helicopter gunships protected by a UFO that disables his Harrier's weapons system. Young is offered a choice. Join the CIA or face a courts martial. Well, he joins the CIA, and he's posted to Area 51 to receive training in flying unconventional aircraft. His mentor, Marat, is a multinational agent, mostly French, who acts as his flight instructor on a triangular anti-grav Astra TR-3B, or the Locust, as the Dreamwild pilots call it. Now, this is actually an SR-91 Aurora, which is still officially classified as mythical, meaning it was leaked to the public but never confirmed. Now, Alan soon masters the Locust and is sent out on a U-2-type mission to overfly Moscow. Now, this is another setup, like his experience in Afghanistan. Russian anti-grav fighters called Arrowheads chase him home. Alan is beginning to suspect that there's something rotten in the state of Greenland. Now, each of our heroic ladies, after a series of hair-raising adventures, find themselves stranded in the Nevada desert near Area 51. Both women exchange confidences and bond in their common goal. They set out to find the ancient alien secret artifact that Jersey Stern had taken from the Nazi Operation Paperclip engineer and hidden in a secret vault. And meanwhile, Alan Young and his buddy, Sergeant Regis of Base Security, have uncovered a plot to destroy Dreamland. Their commanding officer, Agent Hatcher, has been killed, and Agent Marat, the French Locust pilot, who was Alan's instructor, is a traitor. Mo Rat, we should have guessed it. And he's stolen a Locust to join a squadron of Russian arrowheads now in American airspace heading for Area 51 in a scene very much like the film Independence Day, Alan decides to fly an untested prototype disc ship re-engineered and reconstructed from the crashed Roswell craft. The controls are entirely telepathic, and he must trust to his instinctive pilot's empathy with his aircraft. He gets the ship airborne and is soon set upon by the incoming arrowheads. A spherical craft appears, the same type that had disabled his weapons in Afghanistan. Alan assumes it's the, that it is the enemy, and he shoots it down. The arrowheads engage him, and Marat escapes in the stolen locust. Alan is in a replay of the Antarctic battle between the Nazi disc ship and the P-51 Mustangs that were supposedly on uh, Admiral uh, Bird's aircraft carrier, or perhaps King Kong against the biplanes, or as the Flying Tigers used to say about the lightly armed Japanese fighters, they can peck you to death. Down he goes to Belly Land near where the sphere ship has crashed. Regis arrives in a Humvee with some of his troops in time to rescue the ladies hunting the artifact. After a brief shootout with the New World Order's version of Skeletor and his EPA men in black, Regis and the women pull Alan out of his wrecked flying disc. At this point, Alan knows that the Spectre ship, the Sphere ship, was, was at least technically one of ours, and he wants to see who or what was flying it. And he 
looks down into the wrecked cabin, and he sees the pilot. Now, as in a screenplay, we are only allowed a reaction shot. of his facial expression. And later, when he is debriefed, he will make a revealing comment on what he has seen. Now, much of what has already been described is in line with the Shaver mystery, but the final chapter of Secret Machines makes the connection obvious. In Chapter 83, Major Alan Young is taken deep into an underground facility and transported via monorail further into the subterranean complex for his debriefing. He sits in front of the desk and faces a man he had met before when he first joined the CIA's Unconventional Aircraft Division, Agent Kenyon. There is a leather-bound book on the desk between them. Not the Bible. It is Homer's Odyssey. I saw inside the sphere, Young says. I saw the pilot. You guys have been experimenting or genetically engineering some kind of... Kenyon interrupts. Tell me, Major, are you religious? Well, not really, Young answers. What does that have to do... What does all this have to do with religion? Absolutely everything, Kenyon says, tapping the book. Though perhaps myth would be a better term than religion, less loaded. Did you ever wonder why the Apollo space program got its name, Apollo? Well, Apollo was the god of the sun, right? And he crossed the sky daily in a glittering chariot, Kenyon agrees. So? So let's consider that the chariot was more than metaphorical. Let me get this straight, says Alan. You're saying that the craft we're flying were brought here by aliens, which humans took to be the gods of ancient Greece, but they left, and now we have their stuff? Kenyon smiles for a moment and then answers. What makes you think they ever left? So there it is. The Shaver mystery summed up in the conversation between two characters in the final chapter of the book. Why? Well, because Richard Shaver based his ancient alien astronaut stories on the conflicts between the Titans and the Olympians of the Greek mythology. The Shaver mystery has its roots in Greek mythology. But when the elder gods left this planet to escape the sun's toxic radiation, their progeny that stayed behind hid from the sun's rays in caverns and gradually devolved into a race of mutated demons that Shaver called Daros. These subterranean criminals have haunted and dominated surface-dwelling humans for thousands of years with the incredible technology left behind by the elder gods. Now, when the Shaver mystery achieved popularity in the late 1940s, the efforts of the various establishments to discredit the whole business went into full swing. It was discovered that Shaver had spent years in a mental institution diagnosed as a paranoid schizophrenic. It was pointed out that his vast cavern network would be impossible to air condition against the heat or even ventilate, and that his scientific theories contradicted Einstein. Well, for that matter, so did Tesla's. Shaver was hounded out of the publishing world. His editor and collaborator, Ray Palmer, went on to exploit the UFO craze that began early in the 1950s, and he founded the popular Fate magazine. Shaver retreated to a farm in Arkansas and began looking for pictures of his elder gods and Daros in cross-sections of rocks, thus creating his own unique surrealistic art form. This new hobby was obviously therapeutic, because before he died in 1975, he came to the realization that most of the perverted Daros lived on the surface, not in the caverns below. I think Corey Good should take up the rock art hobby. And now in later writings, Shaver also theorized that the cavern world might be in another dimension, a matrix of parallel worlds he called the simultane. And again, I refer you to Beyond Lemuria, second edition. Uh, now, this brought Shaver mystery in line with the thinking of Jacques Vallée and others who have noted that the extraordinary flight characteristics of UFOs seem to indicate interdimensional travel, inter 
interstellar space flight, or factor three, Mr. Scott, is interdimensional by implication. Now, before we leave secret machines, let's have a look at the implication of humans disguised as aliens and or human-alien hybrids as implied by what Alan saw inside the sphere. Now, this takes us back to the 1967 Iron Mountain Report, an expose of a military-industrial pre-New World Order think tank plot based on George Orwell's 1984 idea that continual war is necessary to preserve national sovereignty or power. It was allegedly suggested that when globalization was complete and world peace was achieved, tyranny over the population could be continued by creating a fake extraterrestrial invasion. And, of course, this is a nightmarish scenario, but then, you know, when we remember the way Pearl Harbor and 9-11 were set up, it's not too hard to believe some New World Order people, or perhaps Darrow's, would suggest it. And in this line, see the film Independence Day. Although Admiral Byrd's alleged encounters with Nazis or Nordic aliens in his polar expeditions were not part of the Shaver mystery, but certainly of the later Good mystery, and they were adopted early on by Argentinian, Argentinian neo-Nazis, which Peter Lavenda, Tom DeLonge's co-author on the sequel to the Secret Machines, God, Man, and War, has already published a book on the South American neo-Nazis. More in this book was more authentic than his Sumerian Akkadian version of the Necronomicon. Remember, Peter Lavenda was Simon, who published the Necronomicon. We will look forward to reviewing it soon. In closing, let me again praise authors DeLong and Hartley for their brilliantly conceived and executed work. It's a great read, even if you don't believe a word of it. And I signed that book, Runyon Writer Producer, Beyond the Myriad Second Edition. So, here we have Secret Machines. By the way, it's spelled S-E-K-R-E-T, which is more of the Russian and the European spelling of secret. And now let's look at the books by Michael Sala. Insiders Reveal Secret Space Programs and Extraterrestrial Alliances, 2015. Now to summarize, before World War II, back in the 1920s and 30s, there were UFO flying disc crashes in Europe. Mussolini's fascists recovered one and created a secret group of scientists and engineers headed by none other than Marconi. Meanwhile, in Germany, a transmedium, Maria Orzik, started a spiritualist circle, mostly women, called the Rural Society, based on Boomer Lytton's sci-fi novel, The Coming Race. It was published in the late 1880s. Maria and her Valkyries tried to contact the Keepers of the Vril, which was a non-explosive power source like Chi. or Orgone Energy. They, and they succeeded in contacting Aryan Nordic human extraterrestrials in the Aldebaran system. Now, this seems to confirm what our hermetic and mythological concept that the underworld is the overworld. As above, so below. And it has been that way since Heracles shanked Cerebrus into the sunlight. So, Maria was not able to contact the the Vrilia underground, but she did manage to reach the Elder Gods. And they did give her the real secret in the form of plans for an anti-grav spaceship. Now, she soon brought engineers and financiers into the real society. And they began to build the first flying saucer. This is all in the 19, early 1930s. And the Nazis, who soon came on the scene, became interested, and they created their own parallel anti-grav space vehicle program. 
Now, before the war broke out in 1939, now, now I know I'm making all this sound like fact, and of course it's all questionable. But but this is what this is basically what what Sala is saying in his book. Before the war broke out in 1939, the U.S. Navy had knowledge of German and Italian anti-grav projects, and had taken steps to embed German-American spies in the Nazi research and development programs. That's, by the way, to interject, that's highly questionable. They may have been lucky enough, they, 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 they might have been lucky enough to have American-born German uh, Germans in those, but that, that, that would, it would have been lucky. Uh, but uh, we, we weren't, our intelligence services in those days were just not that sophisticated. Most of this information comes from a U.S. Navy clerk typist, William Tompkins, who allegedly compiled the reports from our agents in Germany. Now, Tompkins is a very, very interesting character. He later became a uh, he got in touch with the with the aliens himself and was one of the major contributors to this uh, to this whole business. In 1942, there was a UFO event over Southern California, and two saucers were recovered by the U.S. Army, and so America entered the anti-grav space race in the dark days of World War II. Meanwhile, the Nazis, with the help of the Vril Society and the Italians, went on to establish bases in Antarctica and on the moon. Well, we knew they were way ahead of us in aerospace, but for some unaccountable reason, they, the Nazis, and the Italians would not or could not weaponize this technology. They developed jet aircraft and guided missiles, but not anti-grav weapons. Of course, this is a major flaw in Sala's argument for operating spaceships and lunar bases. If Hitler had had such capabilities, he would have used them. It is true that we put most of our secret weapon effort and budget into the Manhattan Project. So the only anti-grav vehicle we could put in the air during the war was Heed Martin's Bat, which was flown by Mickey Mouse in Walt Disney's Comics and Stories in 1943. The memory of the Bat did not come from Sala's book. It is my contribution to his mythos. And now, rather than whistle the Twilight Zone theme, between chapters, we can now sing M-I-C-K-E-Y-M-O-U-S-E. And the bird invaded Antarctica in 1946 and 47, supposedly, according to Sala, and to destroy the Nazi bases and, according to secret machines, his P-51s shot down their flying saucers and his Marines captured their scientists and turn them over to Operation Paperclip. Got a problem with this. Bird did not have any P-51s. The Navy, the Navy tried several times to adopt the P-51 to an aircraft carrier, and they couldn't do it. But somebody saw a whole flight deck crammed with P-51s on the Philippine Seas, which was the carrier that Bird took down there. But that and took a photograph of it, and and then they then they decided, oh yeah, look, P-51s on the Philippine Seas. Oh yeah, but they were all jammed up on 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 there. They were just being transported to Okinawa, you know, to to escort B-25s over Tokyo. They they uh, so he didn't have any P-51s. Um, now Sala. So, so this this whole thing this is this is the scenario for secret machines. But Sala has reports of Nazi flying discs wrecking havoc on Berg's ships and aircraft, forcing him to retreat. Now, in Sala's scenario, Berg warns America that we face death from above, and the Antarctic and South American Nazis then make a deal with the American military-industrial complex 
which is eventually taken over by the Rothschild Illuminati cabal. The arch enemies of the Nazis in World War II, but now the two enemies co-evolve into the new world order of global corporate fascism as the plot thickens. And like Pogo Possum said, we have met the enemy and they is us. After World War II and Roswell, 1947, the U.S. Navy, in rivalry with the U.S. Air Force and, and upcoming NASA, launches its anti-grav space program at full steam using Nazi scientists and engineers from Operation Paperclip. Now, this results in the creation of an anti-grav space fleet. U.S. Navy anti-grav space fleet. We take over the old Nazi lunar base, and soon establish a base on Mars. Which soon becomes a corporate mining operation. All of this incredible information is derived from the so-called age-regressed whistleblowing sailor, Corey Good. This is not a boatswain's whistle because Corey busted out of Navy boot camp with a medical discharge. He then claimed a 20-year hitch in the Navy's secret space program. Actually, you know, actually, the, the truth behind this, we could have gone to Mars in the 1970s with a system called the Orion Drive which was an engine using little basketball-sized atomic bombs for propulsion. These we used to call these things ADMs, atomic demolition munitions, uh, T4 devices, and they were used to blow up bridges and stuff like that. Uh, but the International Atomic Test Ban and the prohibitions against using atomic weapons in space made this impossible, even though Werner von Braun wanted to do it. Now I suspect that Corey's Navy space fleet originally derives from 1960s speculations on the Orion Drive's capabilities. Two other former sailors, or alleged former sailors, Michael Ralph and Randy Kramer, have come forward uh, to blow goods whistle on the secret space program. And their testimony casts a suspicious shadow over the whole proposition, the same suspicious shadow which can be used to discredit the original Shaver mystery. It's the shadow cast by the Hollywood sign up in the Santa Monica Mountains. Much of Corey Goode's Ralph's and Kramer's testimony seems to be derived from Star Trek Battlestar Galactica, Total Recall, and Star Wars, whereas much of Shaver's Recall seems to have been inspired by Thrill, The Power of the Coming Race by Bo Lytton, which also inspired Maria Osric, The Moon Pool by Abraham Merritt, Phantom Empire, a Gene Autry movie serial, and Flash Gordon, the comic strip, and the films. In a word, these visions are film-fed but then we have to ask ourselves, fiction novels and our fantasy films mirror some sort of secret reality? Frankly, I suspect they do. And so our fantastic fiction and fantasy films become a feedback loop, a window into parallel worlds or other dimensions where such things do or might exist. Secret Machines and the Sala books all validate the Shaver mystery of the late 1940s. It is my theory that Shaver's universe exists in a dimension or parallel world very close to our own. Shaver referred to the, to the multiverse as the simultane, a vast matrix of nows, wherein our counterparts live and experience life at different vibrations. There are gateways and portals to these dimensions. Human mythology and imagination are the keys to open these doors and windows. The method is called magic. This 
is the proposition that Tom DeLong and Peter Lavenda are laying the groundwork to establish in their excellent book, God's Man and War, 2017, which we will which we will discuss. Um, discuss as soon as I drop this page. Now, um, now, on the radio, you, if those of you who saw Annie remember on the radio that uh, when Daddy Warbucks was was holding the, the script, you know, and you get to the bottom of the script, and it said at the bottom of the script it said Warbucks drop page. <laughs> this is what you do on the radio. You you just you you hold pages loose and then you just drop them. Uh, now. This book, God's Man and War, by by Peter by Tom DeLong and Peter Lavenda. I think Peter Lavenda here again wrote most of it, just like I think Hartley wrote most of Secret Machines. Now, what this book is, it's, it's by the way, this is a wonderful book, and I I, I, I strongly recommend it. It uh, it's it it's kind of like reading Morning of the Magicians again and and uh, and it's and it, yeah, I think it owes a lot to uh uh to um uh, White's uh, uh starships um and uh and and of course it, it owes and, and it owes it owes and refers to De Santa Ana and Van Decken's Hamlet's Mill. Which uh, there are many many things about this book that that, uh, that are really really remarkably good and 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 Peter Lavenda has certainly done his homework. Now what he does is what what he what Peter does is when he in this book is he starts off with his old going back to his old Necronomicon days, you know, back back to to ancient Sumer and uh, and and. Kind of validates Zachariah Sitchin, but he's at the same time being critical of Zachariah Sitchin, which which those of us who are aware of Sitchin's limitations are certainly we're all critical. He, his Sumerian wasn't very good, and his uh, and some of his ideas were, were a little half baked. One 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 of Sitchin's ideas, which which we have already discredited in in previous shows. And, and which Peter goes along with, not that he learned it from us, he, he arrived at himself, is that that human beings were not created by the elder by the elder gods. We we weren't created to mine gold like uh, like Sitchin claims. We were created to grow their food for them. We were created as farmers. And one thing that um that uh, so we agree on that and um uh, and uh the, the, he well, one thing that um uh, uh Peter Lavenda does not mention here is the great bread and beer the great bread and beer conspiracy. He doesn't mention that at all, but but he does mention that we were created to be basically basically farmers for the the Anunnaki and the and the Ajiji. and and uh, and what he does is he goes through the Sumerian and Akkadian uh, mythology and relates it to the Bible, to the Garden of Eden and Genesis and and the Book of Enoch, and he even and he even points out, bless his heart, that that uh, that uh, over in Rashamra. Uh, over in Ugarit, where the Canaanite, uh, all the Canaanite texts come from, they had a copy of the Epic of Gilgamesh, and of course it was in uh, Sumerian. So uh, he ties all this. He ties Gilgamesh, the Elmush, and all the rest, all of this this uh, um, Sumerian mythology into the into the biblical mythology. But then, then as we get further into the book. Then he realizes that Greek mythology is the real key to this whole UFO thing and 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 the astronomical thing and and magic and I, I cannot uh, I cannot have enough good things to say about this book. One thing I will say is he does not he stays away from. He stays away from the caverns, 
uh, and of course, uh, Corey Good validated Shavers Caverns, and and uh, and Belong and Hartley validated them in in uh, in Secret Machines and all that. But uh, but Lavendus is, I think, smart enough to stay away from the caves. He stays away from them. But but one thing he does do that that is just really wonderful is he he validates the shamanic and the magic, the magical and shamanic journeys to the stars, going back to ancient Egypt and whatever. And this this is but one of the things that 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 is so heartwarming about this book is is that that it validates hermetic philosophy and mythology and and uh and magical mythology astrology you know you know hermetic magic is is based on on, on astrology and and uh, this this book really is is validating uh the astrological connection and uh makes you wonder you know like uh, some of these uh some of these channelers that are that are uh, that are talking about uh, ancient situations very similar to the to the, the 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 television the teleplays of Battlestar Galactica. Uh, you know, Battlestar Galactica was was a uh, was a science fiction space opera that 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 uh, was based on on uh, on astrology and. And uh, this ties in. And frankly, to tell you the truth, um, I'm very glad, in a way, that uh, that uh, Lavenda and and Delong, you know, we'll give Delong some credit too. They stayed away from Shaver's caves uh, in in this uh, uh, in 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 this particular book. However. They're promising more books in the series, and uh, so I, 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 you know, I suspect that they will get back to the caves before we're done, before we're done with the secret machines, um, uh, 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 before we're done with the secret machines series, because this is this is an ongoing project, and uh, one I'd like to to mention. Um, that somewhat inspired by this, uh, that that uh, we, I say we, I say uh, my myself and 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 three of my uh, my colleagues, uh, we decided to to take a space flight to Aldebaran and and visit some of these uh, these Nordic uh, be these Nordic extraterrestrials or elder gods or whatever, if they're still there. And, uh, and so we did. And, and of course, uh, one of the things that, uh, that Peter Lavenda is talking about in, in here is that the, he's suggesting that magic circles could be flying saucers and that magicians in their magic circles could be seen uh, in other dimensions, and be and 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 be taken as UFOs by by beings in other dimensions, and 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 perhaps even in this dimension. And the magic circle does look kind of like a flying saucer. And of course, you got the altar in the center, and you got the the magicians uh, around it. But uh, in in uh, in our case, we use a we use a a starboat. We use a uh, an uh, ibis, black on one side, white on the other, um, and an ibis boat that we that we can uh, uh, put on the altar and and, um, and fly through the fly through uh, into the orb or into the into the dark mirror and, and go out into uh, outer space. And we use a a system uh, we call the Soma Sophia. This can also be done. And I will discuss uh, a little bit about this. It also can be done with the Enochian tablets. Uh, in order to do this, you need to make a pyramid, uh, which you can project through, and you can go out into uh, out into the uh, um, well, past the past the 
solar system and on into the uh, constellations uh, using these methods. And so we did this uh, a few nights ago and uh, took off to Aldebaran. And this worked out very, very well because we got there and, and uh, to this planet and Aldebaran is a is a giant red star, and so it has a the planet has a pink sky, and uh, and it was it was uh, primarily silicone based life forms and structures, and a sort of a crystal city, and and uh, we were invited into a, into a a kind of a council building, and and seated and given refreshments. And one of the things that made this thing particularly valid when I'm I'm captain of the boat and I'm narrating this what I try to do when I do this sort of thing is to keep my narration at an absolute minimum and that way that way those that are along with me their reports uh, are, are not uh, there's enough open end here to where their reports are not what we refer to in remote viewing as as um, analytical overlays. The, their reports, what they experience, can be taken as actual target information. An example of that was I said we're being served refreshments and in, in, in crystal goblets and, and, and bowls, and I did not tell them these crystal goblets and bowls were floating. But two of our people picked that up, and that and, and actually they were floating. I didn't tell them that, and they were. So this means that uh, this was not uh, this was not an analytical overlay. Anyway, uh, so we 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 got uh, we got briefed by the the uh, by the, uh, the head of the Nordics, and and we met. A woman very, very much looked very much like uh, Maria or uh, Orsic, and and uh, and she suggested to us that we build a replica of of their Pearl Society uh, flying saucer and use that on the altar, uh, you know, as uh, uh, along with our boat, or not along with, but but in lieu of the boat, and that uh, she would give us, uh, and, you know, the, that she would give us the plans for it. And uh, so we we said that we would certainly take that under advisement, and, and off we went. Now, so we went back. Uh, by the way, we did this, we did this Aldebaran in two jumps using a Tesseract device. Yeah, we did it in two jumps, 34 million light years per jump. One of our people works for JPL, and 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 she could feel the acceleration when we when we made the jump, uh, and uh, so we got back. We 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 got we came back all right, and then we 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 did our you know our critique or debriefing if you want to call it that, and then then in the discussion that followed. I explained the previous uh, adventure like this using the Enochian tablets, and this happened about 25 years ago. Uh, Frater Apollonius, one of our one of our elder members, had had decided he wanted to go to a galactic council meeting, and he he put a lot of work into figuring out what what cell in the Enochian tablets to use, and he determined it. And I, I made the pyramid for the, for the cell. You project through the pyramids. Uh, you, you know, you can go inside, you get, get, get out on the altar, go inside the pyramid, and project through the letter on the top. That's the way it's done if you're going to do it with an Enochian tablet. And uh, by the way, I learned that from Pat Zaleski, so thanks, Pat. But anyway, uh, so we did. I built the pyramid, and we got inside it, and off we went to the Galactic Council. Well, uh, Frederick Apollonius uh, was talking to the, um, you know, the purple people with the silver hair, uh, and I was sitting across the table at the council, 
from a great big praying mantis. And as I recall, it was a female, they're green. Great big huge praying mantis. And she looked at me across the table and said, we are the dominant species on your planet. In my mind, of course. And in my mind, I replied, I have no problem with that. It's okay. <laughs> and that was my experience. And back, back we went after the council meeting. And I'm explaining all this to them here in the, in the city in, 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 in the living room in Rivendell. And it was a hot night, so the doors were open and the windows were open. And no sooner do I get finished explaining this, then a praying mantis shows up on the TV speaker. Sitting, you know, sitting there on the TV speaker. This is a male praying mantis, a brown one. And he's sitting there and cocking his head and, and looking like he's talking. And, and everybody looks at him and, 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 and this is amazing. And so I put out my hand and I say, and I said, come on, come here. And and he took off and flew, and he flew right up to the top, right up to the peak of the prism on top of our little temple set up. We have a little, a little kind of a, a temple left over from beyond the Muriel uh, uh, set, one of the sets, and we have a, a prism on the top of it. Uh, and and so the praying mantis flew right up to the top of the prism. And so I turned around and I said, "Come on!" And and he flew down and. And perched on my on my left shoulder, and started you know talking about me. He said again, and uh, and Sister Ellaville came over with her with her camera and, and took a picture of uh, of um, this praying mantis sitting on my shoulder. And so of course naturally when you know we're going to show that on the website. But this this was this was really amazing, and. And so that that uh, that adventure, uh, I uh, I I really you know I you know you say well just a coincidence well we left the door open and we're in the woods anyway you know so so uh, but here I'm telling this story about the uh, about the the praying mantis the galactic council and this is what happened so anyway um, such as our adventures of this type but I. I really, really want to recommend. Um, I want to recommend this book, "Gods, Man, and War: Secret Machines, Volume One" by Delong and Lavenda. I, I can't recommend it highly enough. I think it's very, very good, and I think that uh, if you if you get all the way through this book. You will go out and look up at the night sky, and, and whether you see a UFO or not, you 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 can look up there, and 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 you can be aware of how how marvelous and how connected this universe is. So until next week, uh, good magic, and uh, we'll see you then. Bye bye.